When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Welcome to the TNF Hotline on the Knapsack Files. Your calls, your voice, your thoughts, and your host, Ken Knapsack. Thank you, Mr. Matty D. We're here for another edition of the TNF Hotline for September. We're back. We got some calls. You know the drill. If you are a Patreon supporter, level three or higher, you get access to the TNF hotline. And that's how your voice gets heard. Didn't have one in August. We're back full force with a lot of calls here. It's a chance for me to not just hear from all y'all out there, but to talk about things I don't normally talk about here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed. Not that there's a specific style to the Knapsack Files podcast feed. Uh, but, you know, we find ourselves, when, when you're interviewing people, you got to go with what they're talking about. And uh, over in the afternoons with Josh and Ken, that's where a little bit more of my comedic broadcasting side comes in. And then we, you know, when Dutch Allen takes over the studio, that's a little different. This is just me getting a chance to talk about a lot of things in general because of your questions and your thoughts. So I don't want to wait any longer. Do you? No. Let's go to the phones here on the Knapsack Files hotline. Hey, Ken, this is old Hans Paul calling from uh, North Carolina, where we're kind of battening down the hatches for uh, Hurricane Florence. And uh looks like we're going to get a little bit lucky this time. It's going to go just a little bit below us, but we're still getting some wind and rain. And, uh, hey, I just wanted to know, uh, was there any time in your life where you were legitimately, uh, legitimately scared of a – Storm, natural disaster, uh, just uh, active nature. Uh, we'll talk to you later. It's good to hear from old handsaw. Good old handsaw. You need a handsaw in your tool shed, and he is a regular contributor over on Patreon and over on Twitch when I stream. When he gets in there, it's a lot of fun to have another old soul um, hanging around with me around the digital media world. And he is out there in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, this message, a couple days old by the time I'm uh, putting this to tape here and putting it out to you all. So uh, I can report old Hansaw's doing very well. Uh, he, he was fortunate, his family fortunate uh, with uh, Hurricane Florence. Uh, others not so much, and we always watching those things. So uh, best, of, uh, best of thoughts, not best of luck, best of thoughts. Uh, we all have those thoughts. It's okay to still have thoughts and prayers, by the way. They're not the answers for everything, but it's still okay to have them. So our thoughts were with uh, everyone out there. Uh, but old Hansaw, glad to hear from you. And, uh, you know, as far as weather and natural disasters, have I ever had any experiences where I've been scared by them? Absolutely. Now, I live in Southern California. And most of, most of my life has been in Southern California. There was, uh, growing up in Central California, every once in a while I'd feel an earthquake. But SoCal, been here 20 years uh, solid now since August of 1998. I've experienced 
quite a few earthquakes. Now, knock on wood, nothing traumatic, nothing what I would call newsworthy, uh, nothing like the 1994 quake. I missed that actually by a week. I was visiting with my family down here, my uncle, who still lives in the same house, Granada Hills. We would have been right in the thick of that one. Uh, fortunately, I was not, but not a lot of uh, other people were, unfortunately, in it, including my uncle. Guess the guest room that we are staying in collapsed. Would not have been good. But uh, as far as earthquakes, I, I get shocked by them. I wouldn't call them scared. I actually kind of, I want to say obsessed isn't the right word, right? Because earthquakes aren't good things, but I kind of like them in a way. I'm, I'm kind of interested. I'm interested in earthquake prep. It was part of my job for a long time, what to do in the event of a major earthquake. I worked at the Northridge Mall. The Northridge Mall was a very uh, newsworthy part of the Northridge quake of 1994, a lot of damage, a lot of collapsing. It happened, what, 4.30 or so in the morning. A street sweeper who was working was trapped and later saved in a parking garage that collapsed. So the mall gets rebuilt, reopened, and uh, four years later or so, I'm there working at it. And eventually I take over the public safety of that mall. You better believe earthquakes on the mind of us there all the time. And there was one particular earthquake. It wasn't big, just midday. Two o'clock, three o'clock type of situation. I'm sitting there with an executive from my uh, company and my boss at the time. I was the assistant director of public safety. And we had two LAPD officers that usually always worked in there with us on duty uh, in a substation. And it was just, we're sitting there. I'm sitting there typing a report and the old swaying of the desk begins. And there's always that first two seconds where you're like, I know I'm not drinking on the job during the day, but what is happening to me? And all of a sudden it kicks in and training has to come into your mind there, but also you go to your instincts and sometimes those instincts aren't right. I ran out and another police officer who was working that day, uh, he ran out too. That's not always the best thing, but also the offices were in, yeah, you know, they're not sometimes the best to stay in either. They, they sh- throw a lot of security departments and substations in the, the unrentable parts of malls. And we both ran out, and there was a um, a light, one of those light, uh, pole lights just swaying uh, like you never felt. And so then we have to gather, gather ourselves up, and me and my boss and the executive from our, our company had to run back into the mall. And again, it wasn't small. I, it wasn't big. I think at the end, uh, by the time it came back um, from local news, we're talking maybe like a three-point something, a four-point eh, maybe. It was just... Everyone was wide awake. Everyone was in the middle of their day, and they felt it. And those happen a lot here in SoCal, Northern California, Japan, other places where you just, to the normal folk uh, who uh, be who are here and live here and work here and function here, you feel them. Uh, you're a little roller. You laugh about it. You move on. But I think because we are in Northridge, in the place and in the mall that was featured heavily in the news coverage because of the disaster that happened there and just ah, bad. It's just it's always on the minds of customers and everything. So we're running back in and holy moly, people are running out screaming. And again, I get it. Sometimes your instincts take over and it's fight or fight or flight. Uh, it is, uh, you know, you do things you might not drill on. And, and that that's just the key. All that training, all that stuff, all those emergency preparedness uh, books. And I've co-authored some of them for uh, malls and stuff. 
a lot of it goes out the window. All those fancy words you have written down. Uh, meet here, go here. you got to boil it down to the basics. And if you in your own home or your own business, and this goes for any kind of disaster type of situation, any emergency situation, boil it down to the basics. That's my big advice I can give you. Boil it down to the basics. Keep it simple, stupid, right? And so we're running back in. And I remember, you know, getting that adrenaline rush, you're running back in and people are running out. And the windows cracked because a lot of windows are double plane. So when the earthquakes go, they the the, the 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 windows actually roll and snap. So it sounds worse than it is. And that one got to me. That was a little. That one's uh, up. And I've had I had one in uh, October of 1999, I believe October 99. I know it was fall of 99. Big earthquake out in Joshua Tree, like registered higher on the Richter scale than the Northridge quake five years earlier. Just happened to be at like 2.30 in the morning, and the skies lit up, transformers blowing. I saw, I think I've told the story in some shows before. I was listening, driving around a security vehicle, listening to The Who, won't get fooled again, and like missed the quake until I saw things moving and transformers in the sky blowing up. And we're not talking Optimus Prime. Uh, So those get me. But as as far as like storms, I I have always said I want to form a Bigfoot search party and... Maybe a little more realistically, a, a tornado chase team, right? I, I got fascinated with some of those tornado chase team shows. There was a couple of them that were out. And the one with uh, was Reed Timmer and Sean Casey, Storm Chasers, I believe it was, on like Discovery or A&E or something. It ran for like three or four years. Loved that show. They had the Dominator, the, the little tank they made. It would fall apart and everything. I was obsessed with that show. I still follow some of those guys on Twitter. Um, you know, I uh, <laughs> just loved it. Now, my dad, born in Austria, of Russian descent, born on the way out of America, uh, raised in Iowa. So my dad has had a lot of experiences with tornadoes. Uh, a couple friends of mine grew up in Oklahoma and Texas and whatnot. A lot of experiences with tornadoes. So... I am obsessed with the idea of a tornado chase team, which now is just a lot of traffic and bumper-to-bumper traffic because after those shows and before around that time, a lot of people uh, wanted to do that. I don't know, though, if faced with it, if faced with a hurricane, if faced with a real tornado, I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what I'd do. I'm willing to find out if it's a tornado, but I don't want to get caught in one, even in the Dominator 5 or whatever. So I have this weird, but I have a weird obsession with it. I absolutely do. So... When I hear people like Old Handsaw, uh, my listeners, my supporters, my friends talking about what they got to go through with some of the other inclement weather and other other spots, you know, uh, there before the grace of God go I. But then you guys probably hear my earthquake stories and you're probably like, nope, I know a lot of people. Nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Don't want to do it. And I love uh, I love being around like new folks when they're out here and experience an earthquake for the first time. And it could be a little one, like a 2.3 or something. But you, if you feel it, it's off-putting. It is weird. It is weird. But you do get used to it after a while. I love hearing the little stories of the sounded like a truck coming down the road. It was an earthquake. And that is a 100% true thing. I've had that happen a few times. I'm like, what is this big rig coming down the my small street at 3 in the morning? Oh, no, it's an earthquake. So uh, that, uh, one other thing, it's... it's Inclement weather, it's not like tornado, earthquake, hurricane-like, but I was driving in New Mexico on the 40 freeway there, cross-country journey, 
and the fog so bad. That might have been the most frightened I've been by weather or any kind of natural event. Uh, that one, I, I just on the freeway, like this is how 72 car pileups happen. Driving, and I'm driving like 30 and uh, and uh, gripping my wheel, my steering wheel as tight as I can. can. And I'm thinking, but that's not it. That's worse because maybe the car behind me can't see me and they're going 40. Oh, it was so bad. So bad. Um, so that's it for Natural Disaster. Who wants to join my tornado chase team? I've talked about it before, so maybe I need to start counting heads here. And if anyone has a, a storm chaser tank, the Dominator 9, let's do it. Hello, Ken. This is Andy from Dallas once again. Uh, my question to you this month is, do you find sad music beautiful? For me personally, yes. To quote, to paraphrase the great Stephen Wilson, in sadness, one real, in sad music, one realizes that they're not alone. Thanks and have a great day. All right, Andy from Dallas, check it in. He's always got some interesting questions. Sometimes they're about the designated hitter in baseball, and other times they're about uh, things like this, music, sad music. Great question about do I like sad music? Because in short, the answer is yes. Yes, I do. Now, are we talking about sad orchestral music, like a good movie score, or sad, uh, you know, opus from a great, like Beethoven or... Or Mozart, yeah, absolutely. I can I can dig all that too, and I love a good uh, you know sad score in a movie. But I focus on sad pop music. Now, every month over on Patreon, we do the Kazak Radio playlist. I put together a Spotify playlist, share it with all of you, and then I I write quite frankly too many pages on what each song means to me. And I, as my friend. Once described me, one, a friend that worked with me at the malls, to be like, I don't like driving around with you in the patrol vehicle because all you listen to is that sad bastard music. And that is true. I love sad bastard music. I don't even know what that specifically means, but I do know what he's referring to. I just like somber, bittersweet tunes. And I think what Andy's saying, this quote, that does matter. You feel as though you're not alone. Now, there's a danger in liking it too far. I go, uh, once again, as I often do, to the movie and the book, but we'll specifically reference the movie, High Fidelity, Cusack, Nick Hornby's great book, um, a book too close to home, and Cusack's uh, Rob Gordon opening up the movie, but no one ever questions, you know, all the sad music people are listening to. And what does it cause? What comes first? The music or the pain. What comes first? So I agree with the notion that if you feed your soul with too much sad music, it might hurt. It might not be a good thing. My mom used to always say she loves, she loves praise music, right? Worship music, church music. And we're not talking about hymns. You know, we're talking about the modern Christian rock music or whatever it is she listens to. Not, not, not always. I, I, I do enjoy, as a, as a church kid growing up myself, there's some great worship songs out there. I'll say that right now. I like them. I have a few of them on CD. And it helps me every once in a while to listen to it and get to a spiritual spot. Though I like going to U2 more for that. I like the Church of Bono. But I do agree with the notion. My mom, you know, was like, hey, I want, it, I want it to feed my soul. 
I think there's some truth to that. So if you're like me, and maybe like Andy, and you like a lot of sad music, just every once in a while put in a Spice Girl song, all right? That's all I'm saying. Even if you're listening to Beethoven, stop, put in a Spice Girl song. People everywhere, spice up your life. It's interesting, too, because when I get into, like, happier places in my life or more content places in my life, you know, career-wise, relationship-wise, health-wise, whatever it may be, it's weird. I'll listen to some of the songs that I was uh, putting on mixtapes or playlists and listening over and over again, and they're sad, and they're sad, and they're and, and, and I'm, I'm finding solace in them, but they're really sad songs, depressive it's funny how sometimes they don't mean as much later on. And there's always that tinge of sadness. It's like you're, you're losing a friend. I've talked about this, and I recently talked about it on uh, the one-on-one podcast over in Collider with Christian, who sat down. A lot of people uh, reacted very nicely. And thank you if you did listening to that. And if you somehow discovered me from that, welcome to the Knapsack Files. Uh, when I was talking about depression, I, I believe depression is is a, a, a problem. Uh, it's a mental uh, mental health issue, chemicals, hardwiring. I get a lot of it from my father, all that kind of stuff. Totally on board for all of that. But I also think there can be this weird obsession with it. You can fall in love with your depression. It becomes your friend, and that is the hard part. That is the hard part of breaking the cycle. And I think some of that is what you put into your head, what you put into your soul, and what you put into your ears. There are songs that I could be years removed from in terms of their relevance to my life or my soul, for better or worse. And if I listen to them now, where I'm older, a little more wiser, though often as you get older, you get less wise, um, a little more content, a little more happy, better perspective, better tools at my disposal to fight a lot of things like depression. It's weird that sometimes those songs... And these are, there's like five, six of them that could, if I'm not careful, pull me back in. Back into an area of depression that I'm not even like really at, you know, like loneliness or something. Something I'm not really feeling right now. Suddenly I'm like, oh, I love that song. I'm lonely again. I miss sad songs. I miss sad romantic songs about not getting the girl when I'm, you know, completely uh, happy in a relationship. Uh, there's one such song. It is one of my favorite songs. God, it is so good. It's so good, but it's so sad. And it's I've Changed by uh, Josh Joplin Group. It is a, without a doubt, make no mistake, it is a song about suicide. I've Changed. And oh, it blew me away the first time I heard it. My friend Jay recommended it to me because he is, he is like me as well like some good, sad music at times. And I think the song, it's supposed to be so, it, it, it's, it's so powerful in the sense of it, it takes you inside the mind of depression and suicidal thoughts, and I think that's good. I think you need to get inside and confront them sometimes. But it's so good, it could take me back to a dark place. So I have to be careful. Sometimes the song will pop up, and I'll be like, hey, we're not going to, we don't need to listen to this one anymore. Yeah, let's let's skip it. And I have to know that. I have to know that about myself. So, great question, Andy. Do I like sad music? I do. And I will continue to do uh, do so, I should say. Um, But uh, you got to be careful. That's all I'm saying. 
Moderation. Sad songs and whiskey. Moderation. Key for both of them. Thanks for the question, Andy. Uh, I appreciate that. And enjoy, in moderation, your sad music. Hi, Ken. This is Matt calling from South Florida. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Um, I heard a rumor that you were a big Dolphins fan, and I'm wondering who you think was a worst, um, worst head coach for the Dolphins, Cam Cameron or Nick Saban. Thank you. Matt from South Florida calling in. This is why I love TNF Hotline. This is why it's a special little show for me here. We can talk about serious things, about sad music, depression. We can talk about earthquakes, fog, tornadoes, chasing Bigfoot. And then we can get a little sports question. I don't actively watch sports as much as I used to. I've said that before. I still enjoy it. It's just a matter of time and, and, and importance to me anymore. At the time of this recording... My Miami Dolphins are 2-0. So, Matt, from South Florida, the rumors are true. I grew up a Miami Dolphin fan uh, in California. Uh, their uh, rival in the Super Bowl in 1984, Marino's second season, uh, was met with, uh, you know, scorn in my hometown of uh, Royal Grande, Pismo Beach, California, because we're, you know, only three and a half, four hours from San Francisco, a lot of 49er fans around me when I grew up. For, so for reasons I still don't fully understand, I started rooting for the Miami Dolphins because I felt sorry for them. That Everyone else in my school liked the 49ers and this Joe Montana kid. I'm going to go for this Danny Marino kid. And thus started a painful existence for me as a professional football fan. The Miami Dolphins, despite some good players and some great players and some great coaches, have never reached uh, the Super Bowl again. It's been a long time, and I don't know this year, even at 2-0, if we're going to get there. So uh, Matt has a specific question. The history of the Miami Dolphins, who is the worst coach, provides two examples. Cam Cameron, who coached the Dolphins for one year. The year's escaping me right now, which shows why I don't watch sports as closely as I used to. I used to know these facts like all that. Cam Cameron was 1-15 in his one year. We almost lost lost every game that year a miraculous last second win saved us one in 15 and cameron was fired he'd been a big offensive coordinator before there hired with much fanfare boom gone now nick saban a little different big college coach uh, a lot of wins and championships under his belt comes to Miami, one of those big coaches moving from the NFL, from, from from the NCAA to the NFL. And everyone goes to another former Dolphin coach who did it so well, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, goes uh, to Dallas. Where was he coaching again? Was it Oklahoma? I can't remember. No, Miami. What am I thinking? Duh. Jimmy Johnson goes from University of Miami. Dallas Cowboys becomes one of the best coaches in the history of the NFL. Comes back to uh, uh, the NFL after uh, being uh, away from it a little bit and goes and coaches my Dolphins. Didn't work out as well. I still like Jimmy Johnson. I think he was a good coach. Saban had the same type of fanfare. Coming out of college, going to the uh, Dolphins, can he bring it there? Can he turn around that franchise? Uh, It didn't work out. And not only did it not work out, he left us to go to Alabama. Us, like I'm part of the team, but you know what I mean. And I got to say, because of that, it put the organization into disarray. 
And I don't know. Uh, a lot of coaches have come and gone, but I don't know. I don't know if we've ever really recovered in this modern era. In the NFL, in one way, you can turn things over rather quickly. New coachy, coaches, coaching staff, new regimes, new players. It can turn over kind of quick, but the feel can still hang over the team. It still can hang over the team a lot. And I I think Cam Cameron, 1-15, boom, you're done. That was bad. I don't even know if it was all his fault, but you don't know what's going on in those locker rooms. He's out gone. He's a memory. He's a distant memory. He's a footnote on a bad record, on a bad season. Saban said he's sticking around. I'm not talking Alabama. Oh, guess what? I'm going to Alabama. I'll see y'all. It's almost like he left in the dead of night. Dark days for a Dolphin fan. I like where we're at now. Adam Gase. I actually like Ryan Tannehill. See if we can do it. We'll see if we can do it. They're 2-0 at the time of this recording. When they get to 3-0, 3-1, I'll start having a little bit of hope and paying a little bit more attention. Thank you, Matt. Let me know how it's going out there in South Florida as a Dolphin fan. How's it on the ground? Talk to you. Hey, Ken. It's Joseph Thomas. And uh, I just wanted to call in today and uh, ask about um, – as you know, I've talked about that I'm going to uh, uh, to uh, for film school and all that. And I know you've talked about uh, how you attended film school at one point, and, but uh, eventually ended up leaving it. I was wondering if you have any advice on, based on your experience, what, were there any mistakes that you made that maybe you can uh, give me some advice on? Obviously, I know mistakes are going to happen no matter what, and I'm prepared for that to happen because that's life. But... Anything you learned from your experience in film school, I'd be happy to hear it and uh, interested as well. So uh, thanks for listening and thanks for the great shows. Have a good one. All right. We got a Northridge-themed show today, I guess. Joseph calling in. He said he's going to CSUN. That is Cal State Northridge, right around the corner from the old mall that I used to work at for 12 of 17 years of my other career. And uh, he's going to film school. Northridge has got a good reputation, good screenwriting program, too. Uh, a lot of people gone there. And uh, I. this is, again, why I love the show. We're jumping around, and he wants some advice. Mistakes I, I might have made going to school, school in general. I did start to uh, uh, go. I was on the path to film school, like the film school path. So I ended up going to community college locally in my town and took all the film school classes to prep myself and get ready. And actually, CSUN was kind of on my list of destinations. Uh, my good friend at the time, uh, one of my eventual roommates, a kid, uh, a kid who grew up to be a man named Joel, uh, went to CSUN. He actually ended up teaching some stuff at CSUN in screenwriting, too. He did the whole full film school thing. I did not. Now, there's been other times I've talked about it. The big reason was I started my radio career. Two years into my college education, I got bored. I started my radio job, and I went to chase fame and fortune in the world of rock and roll radio. Uh, that itself might have been a mistake. Not the going into radio, but I had a lot of time. I'd get off air at 10 a.m. and have the rest of the day. I lived at home, didn't have any major bills. I was young. 2021, I could have gone to other classes. I could have continued to better myself. But I was like, I'm done. I'm done with school. No more homework for this kid. Stupid. Stupid. That's a mistake, too. But, Joseph, to your question about film school and school in 
in, in, in general. Um, but I say this about film school a lot. I've had a lot, of, a lot of other people ask me, and I'm like, absolutely should go. It's not so much the uh, actual education of, of the film school. Yeah, you're going to learn stuff. You're going to pick up skills and all those kind of things, and you're going to have some papers telling other people that you know this stuff. That's important. And if you go to a film school of prestige, that's very important, too, if you're fortunate enough to go. But it's not all about what you learn. It's who you learn it with. We talked about the NFL, talked about coaches, head coaches, coaching staff, baseball coaches, baseball uh, uh, things, uh, baseball coaching staffs. I think it's like film school, too. You can see a lot of directors making big movies. Big budget movies. Let's talk about The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson, his director of photography. What's his name? Uh, Steve Yedlin, I believe his name is. His first name is Steve. Can't remember his last name right now. They've known each other since they were teenagers. Now, they didn't necessarily, I'm not saying they necessarily met in film school, but you see that a lot. Film school will bring you equipment, either for free, easy air access, cheaper. Uh, rentals can get you, you can discounts anywhere and get you equipment that you don't have. It'll get you connections through the students that you work through and work with. And it'll get you that kind of communal experience. And I think that carries more weight than what you're actually learning. So Joseph, you might be starting this new journey. I know you're concentrating more on editing. Joseph and I have talked offline uh, through Patreon and everything. And uh, I know sometimes you, uh, you might, Joseph, you might get a little anxious with the career in front of you and how hard you're working and how hard people are working around you and are you working harder than them. And that is a good mindset to be in. Anxiety and being anxious about that kind of stuff, I can't necessarily calm that down. But you're in a, you're in a good spot. You want to talk about mistakes. My mistake was not slowing down at a young enough age to really take stock of the opportunities around me because a lot of times you're focused on bigger opportunities. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to um, go write screenplays or whether it was being Saturday Night Live or all these other kind of big things, and those are all good goals to have. Glad I had them. They took me to where I needed to be. But along the way, like I said, I was too much of a one-track mind. And I could have gone and not just learned things, but made other connections and had some resources fall into place earlier. And maybe I could have transferred down. And maybe, yeah, film school doesn't teach everything. And you can say, well, Quentin Tarantino worked in a video store, and now look where he is. You can say all those kind of things, those urban legends. But you can also look at the great USC classes of the late 60s and early 70s. And these Spielbergs and Lucases, Milius's and all these names that worked around that era, that worked together. A lot of them met in film school. Hell, even Irvin Kirshner directed Empire Strikes Back because he taught George Lucas at film school. That is the mistake I made in a lot of places, not just school. Not just school. But not taking time to appreciate the connections growing around you. I did that at Groundlings too. Stand-up comedy. You will focus too much on yourself and your big goals. Well, I want to get here. Other people around you, you get in competition with them. 
And a little competition ain't bad. I actually uh, am a fan of competition. But if you get wrapped up in that, you might lose sight of what is around you now. That's a bigger mistake than what you actually do or learn at film school. Joseph, hang in there. You're in the right spot. And you're also in Northridge. You're near my favorite chilies of all time. And that is a good thing. Last call of the day. Let's have it. Hey, Ken. It's your buddy. Tim, a.k.a. TKO, up here in Connecticut. Hope all is well. Just wanted to uh, touch on something you mentioned in the most recent episode of my favorite podcast, potentially of all time, and that is Hot Sizzler Nights. You mentioned uh, yourself as a big Thousand Island fan. Me personally, hot take alert, I do like that as a Thousand Island, that's stuff to say, but I actually prefer it as a cheeseburger topping. Uh, hot take. Try it if you haven't done so already. But I want your uh, top five favorite salad dressings, your salad dressing power rankings. I know a very important topic in today's day and age. Go with top five. Enjoy, sir. Have a lovely day. All right, Tim is closing out the show in the way I want to, talking about food. If you watch me on Twitch or you hang out with me on the stream there in the chat room, you know that I think 80% of the time, no matter what I'm playing, the Twitch stream conversation always turns to food, food of some kind. Oh, I love me some food. It's my downfall. I actually hit the gym a lot more than I think people would think based on what I look, uh, but I look the way I do because Hot damn food's the best thing in the world. Um, try to do a try. I'm on one of those kicks again. Of, we're going to buckle down. We're going to have salad. We're going to have salad. Which is interesting. Tim's picking up on uh, the great Hot Sizzler Nights episode we did with Cobster, Christian Rufacabla, and uh, Cody Hall, the Wangers. We went over to Sizzler. We had a good meal. We talked about Thousand Island Dressing. And uh, Thousand Island Dressing, if you're looking to be healthy, uh, have a nice salad. Not the dressing you want, right? Not the dressing uh, you want. But as we close out the show, let's try to do an impromptu salad dressing ranking for Tim and for all of you. So I'll go with number five. Number five. I got to think about it here. This is truly impromptu. The record button is going. I'm not stopping. I would say number five is going to be like a honey mustard. I used to like it a lot more. It's definitely on the list, but sometimes, and I'll tell you where I had it a lot, Red Robin. When I was a regular down at the old Red Robin in Northridge, because let's just keep talking about Northridge. Had it so much because it's so good. Oh, it's tasty. Mm, so tasty. Honey mustard salad dressing. It's a little too sweet. And I remember one specific day I used to get their chicken tender salad, which has no health in it. We're taking chicken tenders and replacing the fries with lettuce. Good luck to your health. But it was good. And it, honey mustard and chicken tenders goes tremendously well together, right? It does. Whether you're dipping or pouring it on your salad. And I remember the one specific day I had gone a tender too far. Which you've heard the afternoons recently, you know, tenders, you can get addicted to them. But I went to tender too far, a chicken tender salad too far, and the honey mustard dressing just, I remember just, I just thought to myself, this is too much. I must stop. I must pull back. 
So it's on the list. I will revisit it again. But it's number five. Number four, I'm going to go with uh, any sort of balsamic. I do like a balsamic vinaigrette. I like it on my uh, Subway sandwiches just as much as my salads. Um, but uh, I do like like the flavored ones. Uh, we got a champagne vinaigrette, sir. Please, two of those. A little, little uh, containers, no, two jars of it. I do like it. And you feel the difference. A vinaigrette is definitely lighter. A balsamic vinaigrette, you just feel good ordering it. You can get pompous with your salads. Uh, sir, what kind of dressing would you like? We have ranch. We have. Oh, no, I'll have the uh, balsamic vinaigrette, please. Oh, actually, sir, we don't have that. We have a champagne. Oh, please, I'll have that, yes. Uh, there's some, like, pear vinaigrette, some orange vinaigrette. I don't know. I don't know why you have fruit and vinaigrettes, but it works. It works. It works really well. It's more of a recent addition to my life. There was a point where I thought I wasn't old enough and didn't need to have vinaigrette. It's also, you know, when you think salad dressing, particularly when you're younger in your early to mid-20s, and uh, even in your uh, mid-30s when you're ordering chicken tender salads, when you think of salad dressing, you think of thick, goopy stuff, because we all like thick, goopy stuff, right? Vinaigrette is smooth. It's uh, very light. It's not fluffy. It's just liquid. Um, it took me a while to finally say, let me really buckle down and learn to like vinaigrette. So that's number four on my list. Number three on my list, we are going to go with the classics. We start moving into the classics. I am going to go blue cheese. Yes, there was a point in my life, probably around 11, when I was like, what is blue cheese? And someone said, probably my parents, it's, it's dead cheese. It's moldy cheese. That turned me off to that. It may be a good decade. I don't often get it. I do like blue cheese when you're dipping, again, tenders or wings. Uh, but I do like it on a salad. It's underrated. It's underrated because I think it's overrated. You know, does that make sense? It became too popular, so you started to hate it. Like Star Wars for some people. I don't like those people. But it's good. It's good on a salad. That's number three. Number two, ranch dressing. I just had it today. At the time of this recording, I had a nice little simple salad for lunch, a pre-made salad I purchased from Target. And it has the, the ranch dressing in the middle, and that's the highlight. The salad itself, I mean, I like salads. It's not, I'm not forcing myself to have these salads. I like salads. But uh, the ranch dressing, it's like you're invited to the party, but it's the uh, thing that keeps you at the party. You know? It's not like the people you're going with. It's like the food at the party that you like. Ken, do you want to go to my party? Not really. But you probably have those little wedge sandwiches. I'll go. That's ranch dressing to me in salads. But that leads me to number one. And, well, Tim talked about it. I talked about it. That's because it's my favorite. I cannot change it. Number one is Thousand Island. I just can't have it that much. And, yes, I have had it on hamburgers. Thousand Island Burger. Uh, That's at several different restaurants, and I've made it on my own. I even had it when I moved to L.A., Oh, 20 years ago, when I was living in Granada Hills, just side, outside of Northridge. I remember I made like a ham, cheese, lettuce sandwich, and then I was like, I don't have any mustard, any, uh, any relish, nothing to put on it. 
because I was poor, right? Just moved here, making $5 an hour or whatever it was at the time at a movie theater. And I uh, I had some Thousand Island dressing that I bought for salad, but I didn't have the salad. I had this little sandwich. And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. It works on burgers. Let's put it on this little deli sandwich. And oh, that was good. So there's a point in my life where if I had a salad, I had Thousand Island dressing. Along the way, I learned that a Thousand Island dressing was the reason for my health problems, or one of them. There was a lot of reasons, but that was definitely a... Oh, it's, uh, it's like the Whopper of the fast food hamburger world. The Whopper's the one that's the most whopping of the calorie total. Thousand Island dressing, we all know now, like smoking, is what's killing you. Stop smoking. Stop having Thousand Island dressing. But I can't. I love it on burgers. I do love it on salads. I do love it on sandwiches. I probably would have a spoonful of it. I'm kidding. Not kidding. Please help me. So that, Tim, is a great way to end this show. We've gone all over the map. We've gone deep into depression. We've gone into career anxieties, failures, mistakes, the Miami Dolphins chasing storms, stuck in earthquakes, and my impromptu top five salad dressings. That's the deal. That's why we do the Knapsack Files Hotline. If you want to be part of the hotline, uh, you can do so by becoming a Patreon supporter. Go to patreon.com slash Files. Tier 3 or higher, you get access to the hotline. That said, I have to pay special homage and respect to my producer and executive producer supporters on Patreon. That is Jason Humphreys, Pags, Alex Marriott, Kai Thatch, Kyle Gerbrandt, Zach Anderson, Donald Long, Ranger Donald, uh, The Amazing Web, Aaron Parisian, great author. Check out Aaron's stuff. Uh, go to Aaron underscore the underscore author for more information. Jonas Bergren. And then we've got my executive producers, DJ Snacks, Go listen to his online radio station, Temporal Radio, Thomas Risling, Lethal Logan X, Matthew Simon, Bedore, Jacob at Legends Con, Kyle Harlow, Matthew Maroney, that's Noslack, and Matthew at TMP Media Productions, and a new executive producer, Tamor Buddha. It's the Knapsack Files Hotline. Your support makes this happen. Follow me at Ken Knapsack. We'll see you next time here. The Knapsack Files Hotline. Now I'm going to have some salad.